Hey, y'all. My name is Sydney. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, I get to serve as the college and young adults pastor here at Vista. And I am so glad that you are here with us tonight. I just think it's so special to get to gather with people in a similar season of life. And I've talked to multiple of you tonight who have um, recently moved here. And I hope it's encouraging to you to see that there are so many other people who are in a similar season of life as you. And I am so proud of you for showing up and putting yourself out there because we are made to be in community. And so I'm so glad that we get to practice that together and be in community together tonight. Um, So how tonight's gonna work if it's your first time? I'm gonna teach some on a text and then I am gonna let y'all talk about it at your tables. Um, So we'll do all the teaching up front and then all the talking at the end. Does that sound good? Great. Uh, So this semester at the table, we are spending some time in some Old Testament stories, some famous Old Testament stories. So if you grew up in the church, we've chosen some of these stories that um, might uh, have been the stories you read as a kid over and over again. And maybe you've grown numb to the significance of the stories. Or maybe um, you didn't grow up in the church and you haven't heard some of these stories and you're like, what the heck is going on? And so I hope that if you're on either side of the spectrum, that uh, the word can be encouraging to you and can teach you something new and bring clarity um, to the Old Testament. Because I know the Old Testament can be really confusing and overwhelming, but it is still so important that we spend time reading uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. I have this quote from Tim Mackey. He says, the Hebrew Bible is messianic wisdom literature, literature that leads us to understand our need to be rescued by the Messiah, Jesus. And so the Old Testament is so important to help us understand this bigger story, this bigger narrative and our need for Jesus. So tonight I, I chose for us to be in Jonah. Um, I love the story and I think it's super interesting. Anyone grow up on Veggie Tales? Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Um, so we're gonna be in Jonah tonight. And um, Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. Jonah was a prophet himself that was called to go to Nineveh that we're about to read about. But this, this book can also be considered a parable and Jonah representing Israel, God's chosen people, and Nineveh representing Babylon, um, Israel's enemy, the people that attacked Israel and took them into exile. Uh, but ultimately what I want to get out of this book is what it shows us about Jesus and our need for Jesus, okay? So that's the journey we're gonna go on tonight. Uh, we're gonna read the entire book of Jonah. So after tonight, you can say you read an entire book of the Bible. Does that sound good too? Be in lots of scripture. So I've asked a few different people to read for me and we're gonna go ahead and jump in to chapter one. I believe that's Mark. Jonah chapter one. Is it on? One of the handheld. There we go. There we go. All right. Jonah chapter one. Jonah flees the presence of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come up upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men who knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him to the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Thanks, Mark. All right, we'll stop there. All right, so quite a bit to unpack in this first chapter. But first, um, let's, let's look at the different characters we have here. So Jonah is a prophet, like I said, and a prophet is someone who delivers a message for God. And God is calling him to deliver this message. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because, of its, because its wickedness has come up before me. So this is what Jonah's called to do, to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was this evil, wicked city. They were known for being the city of blood. And they, this was an enemy to Jonah. Jonah wanted nothing to do with these people. They were his enemy. Um, if you can imagine God asking you to go confront someone who has hurt you, hurt your friends, who has anger management problems, like that would be pretty intimidating, right? To go and confront someone like that in your life. And so I don't blame Jonah for being afraid, but he had this clear call to obedience. And what does he choose to do? To run. 
right? So he runs to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction of where God called him to go. And in Psalm 139, um, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, verses 7 through 10, says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell on the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So what does this teach us? We can't run from the presence of God, right? God is going to be with us no matter where we go, no matter how far we try and run in disobedience, God is still going to be there with us. God is still pursuing us. And we see that happen with Jonah. So Jonah says, I don't want this call. I don't want to be obedient, so I'm going to run the opposite direction. And God's like, no, I'm I'm still with you. You can't run from my presence. And I want to notice the first little hint of pointing to Jesus here. Um, we see the storm come on the ship that Jonah gets on. And what is Jonah doing on the ship during the storm? Sleeping. In Matthew 8, starting in verse 23, who else is sleeping on a ship? It says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him up saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Okay, so there's this this relation to Jesus here. So the sailors know that Jonah is trying to run from God and they, they are afraid for their lives. And they wake up Jonah and they're like, what are you doing? Who are you? Are you the reason that this is, this is happening to us? And then Jonah confesses, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I think this is just so crazy too in this moment that Jonah is willing to say, yeah, I worship Yahweh, I worship God, and I know he's the God over the sea and dry land, and I even tried to escape on the sea when I I know he's in control over the wind and the waves. And so then something has to happen. Um, The sea is not calming down and they're starting to panic. And so the sail- Jonah says, you know what, throw me overboard. Um, this is my fault, I'm the one who got us here, throw me overboard. And then another little um, foreshadowing to Jesus, they say, um, do not hold us accountable for killing innocent blood. We see Um, Judas in Matthew 27 say something very similar. He says, saying, I have sinned, this Jew is talking, by betraying innocent blood, talking about Jesus when he betrayed him. But they said, what is this to us? See to that yourself. So again, another little Easter egg that points us to Jesus. And I love how the scriptures are so creative with this. Um, So God uses Jonah's disobedience in this moment for good. So even though Jonah runs and Jonah's made a mess out of things, even though Jonah chose to be disobedient and not follow his call uh, to go and preach to his enemies, 
God's still going to use his disobedience and to, to save these sailors who worshiped other gods. And then they, become, they come to know Yahweh. They come to know Jonah's God through his disobedience. And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And so they end up throwing him overboard. And again, this is this foreshadowing of death for life. Jonah's sacrifice of his life is able to save these sailors, and then they get to start a relationship with Jesus or with the Lord at that point. That's pretty cool, right? So Jonah is thrown into the sea, good to die in the waves. And then we see that God sends a fish to swallow up Jonah for three days and three nights. Again, these three days and three nights should foreshadow Someone else is going to get swallowed up for three days, right? In Matthew 12, 38, this is Jesus talking. He says, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. So he's saying, you want a sign, the only sign you're gonna get is of Jonah. For, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And we're gonna come back to this text. But I think it's so cool that Jesus relates himself back to Jonah and says, I'm the greater Jonah. And we're gonna, again, spend some more time in that in a minute. So Jonah deserves death. He was disobedient. He got himself in, the, in this mess. And God sends a fish to swallow him up. And that brings us to chapter two, which I believe Miranda's gonna read for us. Jonah's prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the, blood, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Okay, so... Jonah has this near-death experience, and 
he realizes that God stepped in to, to spare his life. And so he breaks out into song. And we see this happen in scripture multiple times where God's people are experiences this near death experience. And then God saves them and they, they begin to sing. Like in Exodus, right after God's people um, were brought through the parting of the sea, um, they, they broke out into song. And I, I think um, we do that as well. When we have this near death experience or when we hit rock bottom, we are quick in that moment to turn to the Lord and praise him because we realized that we needed a savior in that moment, right? That we were as good as dead. And that's in the moments we're willing to give God our praise. But then when things are going okay, how quickly do we just count on our own strength again and forget about what God has done in our lives? Um, I know for me, I, um, I'm severely allergic to tree nuts. Any other um, tree nut allergies in the room? Just me, oh, hey. I see you. Um, there was a time um, in college, my sophomore year of college, where I was uh, just really far from the Lord and living in a lot of sin. And I had this, like the most severe allergic reaction I have ever felt or ever had. And what happens is my throat swells closed and it is very hard for me to breathe. And so I literally felt at this moment, like God could have taken my breath away, um, but he didn't. And I was able to get to the hospital in time and get an epi pin and all of the fun things. Um, and then I remember that the next Sunday at church, we sang that song, it's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out, I praise you over and over again. And that was just this moment for me, this aha moment that God spared my life. And he could have taken my breath away in that moment, but I want to give him all my praise. And, and that was a turning point. And I realized I needed to repent of some sin in my life and, and move in another direction. And so I tell you that story that, yeah, when we hit rock bottom, that's a time where we often turn to God and rely on God and give him praise for, for bringing us out of those seasons. Um, so that's what Jonah is doing here. You can sense this, this repentant heart and needing a savior. And then there's also this, um, this kind of semblance of baptism in this, this part of the story, that Jonah is thrown into the waters um, and he puts to death his disobedience, his old way of life, and then he gets spit out, vomited out of the whale, out of the waters, and steps into this new life. Um, as I was researching, I thought it was interesting that the, the fish uh, was referred to in the female um, gender. And so it was supposed to kind of give this imagery of um, the fish being pregnant with Jonah and then giving new life to him as the fish spit him out onto dry land. Um, and so there's this baptism story for Jonah that he's putting to, to death his disobedience and coming into new life. And so he's going to be given this second chance, um, which brings us to chapter three. So let's see what Jonah does with a second chance. I know we're speeding through this. We're going to slow down a little bit in a minute. Kendra's going to read it for us. Okay. Jonah goes to Nineveh. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is, the, this is the proclamation he issued in, in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Thanks, Kendra. All right. So take two. Jonah gets the same exact message, right? Go to Nineveh and tell them the message that I have given you. And so this time, Jonah decides to be obedient. He decides to go to his enemies. He decides to go to these people who are so far from God, that are persecuting God's people, um, and preach this message that God has given them. And so the message is, I put it back up here on the screen. He says, 40 more days, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So this is a less than 10-word sermon, and it's a pretty sucky sermon, if you ask me. First of all, Let's see what's wrong with it. Um, It has no mention of God. So if I were to get up here and not mention God one time, you should be concerned, right? Like that wouldn't be a very good sermon. There's no hope here in this message. And there's only um, a message of destruction. 40 more days and you're gonna be overthrown. It's a pretty um, heavy sermon, right? Not one that I would wanna hear, but Jonah, this is the message he, whether this is the exact words from God he received or his version of what he heard from God, this is what he wholeheartedly believed that God was telling him to tell these people, that you are gonna be overthrown, that you are gonna, that God's gonna conquer your your city in 40 days. Um, 40 days is a number that we should pay attention to. Normally in scripture, 40 days signifies a time of trial or testing. Uh, we see the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years wandering in the desert, right? In the season of trial and testing in Exodus. And then we see Jesus in the desert for 40 days in, a, in, a trial, um, in, a, in this trial and testing period. And so this 40 days for Nineveh is gonna be a trial period for them. But I think it's also a trial period for Jonah as well. So what happens when Jonah delivers this message is all of a sudden these evil 
people, these people who have been so far from God, decide to repent and turn from their evil ways and confess and humble their hearts. And Jonah, in this moment, becomes the most successful prophet in in history. Um, He has this whole horrible city repent and decide they want to follow the Lord. It's a pretty big deal, right? Especially with a sermon that bad. I mean, if I could get you to all follow Jesus with your whole lives, um, repent of everything you've done in less than 10 words and no mention of God, um, be pretty impressive. Uh, So what Jonah says here in this message becomes true, but it's not what Jonah thought he was saying, right? He thought that Nineveh was going to be overthrown, meaning that they were going to have this military defeat, that God was going to wipe them out like they deserved. That's what Jonah thought God meant in this message. But God is being clever here. He's, Jonah was obedient, but I, I sense in his obedience, it was like this reluctant obedience. Like, I'm just going to do the bare minimum of what God is asking me to do. I don't have hope for these people. These people are hard to love. I don't really want anything to do with them, so I'm just going to do bare minimum obedience and tell them what they deserve. But God is clever, and um, I love this quote we have from Philip Carey, who has an awesome commentary on Jonah. He says, we can almost hear the gracious and merciful God chuckling and say to himself, okay, Jonah, have it your way. You want to say Nineveh will be overturned. Well then, I will make sure Nineveh is overturned for you. I will surely turn them upside down, convert them, and turn them into something altogether new. And you see, overthrown, yes, can refer to defeat, but it can also refer to turning something upside down and making it new. And so that's what God is doing here. He's taking these law, this lost people group, this, this people group that's hard to love, that Jonah wants nothing to do with, that this people that God, Jonah believes that does not deserve God's love. But God shows his compassion and he allows their hearts to be humbled and draws them back into relationship with him. And I hope that is encouraging to you that no matter how far you've gone, God wants you to humble your heart and say, I want a relationship with you. You could have done the worst things you could ever imagine. These people killed God's people. They were horrible. They were known as a city of blood, but God still wanted relationship with them. God still wants relationship with you no matter how far you've tried to run from him. God does care about justice. So I I want us to still take that away from the story. God does care about justice, and we see God bring justice in different stories throughout the Old Testament. Um, But God also, or we, we aren't the ones who get to decide how justice is served, right? God is the one who decides how justice is served. And Um, that should be encouraging and freeing to us, but I think a lot of the times when it comes to our enemies, we want to decide how justice is served, right? We want them to get the punishment that they, we think they deserve. And, 
And that's what Jonah wants for these people. But the story, I didn't realize my mic fell off. Um, In chapter three, in most kids' books, it ends right here. And most people like to end their sermons right here where Jonah got preached this message of God, they all repented, everybody's following Jesus, we tie a bow on it, that's it, right? Um, but there's a chapter four here in Jonah, and it's a little uh, complicated, and so we're gonna keep going to chapter four because the story doesn't end here. So I believe Grace is gonna finish us in chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and sun blazed on and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, "It would be better for me to die than to live." But God said to Jonah, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?" "It is," he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Thanks, Grace. All right, so no wonder it's left out of kids' stories, right? Because um, Jonah becomes suicidal at this moment, right, in the story. He says, I, I wish I was dead. God's mercy towards his enemies makes Jonah suicidal. And that's, that's pretty wild, right? Um, God had just shown Jonah this mercy that he didn't deserve when he was disobedient and thrown into the waters. He rescued him with this fish. And God, Jonah even said in verse nine, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. He admits salvation comes from the Lord. He didn't deserve it. But now these people that he doesn't think deserves God's love get God's mercy too. And he's not okay with it so much so that he wants to take his own life. And I think um, Jonah is very angry that God would give mercy to these these people who have caused him so much pain, these people that he disagrees with, these people that he doesn't like. Um, 
But I think also what causes Jonah to be so angry in this moment is because he feels like a fool. He feels like God gave him a message to these people and then God made him look like a fool because that's not what he did. He didn't um, overthrow the city. He was ashamed that he was wrong. And I, I think this could be a whole nother sermon, but I do wanna think about it for a second and we'll have time to talk about it in our groups, but how do we respond when our expectations of God are unmet and our theology is overturned? Think about that for a second. We all have expectations of God, right? There's times in our lives where we feel like we've gotten a clear message from God, but then it doesn't turn out like we thought it was going to. How do we respond in those moments? Is it like Jonah in, in shame and anger and despair? Like I said, Jonah himself had just gotten the mercy that he didn't deserve, and he knows God is abounding in love, slow to anger, but he doesn't want that for his enemy. And then God has this random parable thrown in there about this leafy plant or this parable of the gourd. Um, apparently this is the only time this word gourd is mentioned in the in entire Bible, really interesting. Um, and so what, what do we do with this story? What is God trying to get at when Jonah is so angry? So Jonah leaves the city um, and is just sitting and, and waiting to see what God does. And God sends this, this plant to cover Jonah's head, to give him relief and shade. Um, and then he takes it away. And we know that God is a God who gives and takes away, right? God is in control. Um, of the things he creates. We are not. Um, everything on this earth can perish and will perish. Uh, I mean, we just celebrated Ash Wednesday, if, if you got to be a part of that service, where we're reminded from dust we are formed and from dust we shall return. That everything on this, this earth is perishable and God's in control, but it's a good thing that God is in control. So God's trying to teach Jonah a lesson here. He's saying, when I show you I'm in control and when I choose to give and when I choose to take away, do you trust that I'm still a loving and kind God, even when you don't understand what I'm doing? When I give you a message, when I give you a call, when I send you somewhere and you don't understand, when I take something away from your life that you thought was good, that you were excited about, but you don't understand what I'm doing. Can you still trust that I'm good and that I'm in control? And then he's using this, this parable to show Jonah that he still has pity on this plant that he had no, um, no part in creating. Jonah has pity on this plant. And what pity shows is this soft-heartedness that even though Jonah is so angry, his heart is still soft and wanting to see something live. And I think what God is doing here is trying to, to get Jonah's attention and saying, look, you care about something that you didn't even create. And I created all people, so don't you think I care deeply about them? And also, um, kind of skipped over this part, but 
Jonah admits he's angry, but then he admits he's angry to God because of what God has done when God takes away the plant. And I wanna encourage us that when our expectations of God are unmet, when we're confused by what he's doing and it sends us into the spiral of anger and despair, God can handle our emotions. God is big enough for us to confess that we are angry and we don't understand and we wish he would have done it a different way, right? You can come to God with your anger. You can come to God with your emotions. And in fact, he wants you to. And this is the starting place for this, this dialogue between him and Jonah. He's like, okay, you've confessed you're angry. We're getting somewhere. It's okay for you to bring your emotions to me. I think about any, any relationship that you're in, but um, my relationship with my husband, Aaron, if, if I have expectations um, and those expectations aren't met and I'm hurt or mad about it and I just choose to sweep that under the rug and not confess to him that I'm, I'm hurt, that's, that's not healthy for our relationship, right? That's not gonna help us grow and move forward and learn how to, to make each other feel loved and heard. In the same way, our communication with God needs to be open and honest that God doesn't have to meet our expectations, Um, And he's not going to half the time, but he has a good plan for us. And his plan for our lives is better than we can ever imagine. And so we have to trust that he's in control, but we can come to him when we're disappointed. Um, You with me there? Okay, so Jonah admits he's angry, but he still shows pity. And I think what God is ultimately trying to do um, Another Philip Carey quote that sums this up so well. It says, his aim, talking about God, is always to overturn the evil that destroys his creation. So God wants to protect his creation. He wants good for his creation. So he always wants to overturn evil. And he can accomplish this by justly, justly by destroying the evildoer, which we see him do in scripture. But yet more justly, and gloriously by turning the evil heart into something new. He repents of the evil, therefore, in order to overcome evil with good, defeating evil and the abundance of his mercy, doing more, not less than justice. Doing more, not less than justice. And I think Jonah is struggling here thinking God did less by not giving them justice, but God is doing more because this brings him glory. This brings people back into relationship with him um, and how God designed his children to be. And I think this, this is what our God is in the business of doing, right? Taking the most broken people and making them new. Taking the, the darkest parts of our stories that we think are unredeemable and offering redemption and love. Um, Jesus, this is why Jesus refers to himself as the greater Jonah, Jesus, like Jonah, would be swallowed up uh, for three days by the grave, right? We're getting ready to celebrate that soon with Easter. He would be swallowed up for three days and then turn the world upside down. He desires for Jews and Gentiles, for all people to be in relationship with him. There's no one too far gone to experience his love and mercy because Jesus died on the cross 
to overthrow or overturn the punishment that we deserve. Jesus died on the cross to overturn the punishment that we deserve. You know, the Pharisees here, that's why they were asking for a sign back in Matthew 12, because they were like, we wanna see the military defeat that you're gonna bring in this world. They thought that that was what God was gonna bring. He was gonna bring destruction and show his power. But Jesus decides to overturn things in a way that people didn't expect it. And that was to bring all people back into relationship with him through the cross, allowing us to be back in right relationship with him, taking the punishment that we deserved. So each one of us deserves death, right? Like Jonah deserved death after he disobeyed. But because of the cross, because of Jesus, we have been offered a second chance. We've been given a new life. And like Jonah was given a second chance and spit out of the fish onto dry land, we've been given a new life. And this is something that we did not deserve. But how often, like Jonah, do we receive this new life? Um, Maybe even you yourself was baptized, professing to the world that you wanna step into this new life, but then you're so quick to turn back to your old ways and think that God is for you and not for everyone else. That you have just received this grace and mercy from the Lord to to give you a new life. But then there's your neighbor or your enemy or that person that's really hard to love that you're like, man, they don't, they don't deserve God's grace. They're too far gone. I don't want to see them succeed. I don't want them to see um, God's, God's love. And we have this us versus them mentality, thinking that we're better than them. Um, maybe there's a group of people that's hard for you to love. You feel like God's on your side, but not on theirs. You feel like you're doing everything right like Jonah did um, with like the this, this self-righteousness. I'm a better person than they are. I don't commit these horrible sins like they do. How often do we get caught up in that kind of thinking? Thinking that we're better than the people in our lives or the people that we see on social media. And how often do you compare yourself to someone and hope that they fail? Um, and you have no hope that they're gonna get a second chance. But you yourself have given, been given a second chance in Jesus. So God leaves this open-ended question here in this story in chapter four. He says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Should I not pity? Should I not have compassion is what he's saying. Like, I'm the God of the universe. I created everything. Should I not have pity? But we don't get to hear Jonah's response. And that's designed for us to put ourselves in the the shoes of this story. Do we believe that God should get to have compassion on all people? And then are we gonna choose to be a part of his mission and ushering the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and and being a part of delivering God's love, the message of God's love to all people and drawing all people back to him, no matter how undeserving of their love we think they are. So we have to take what Jesus did to heart and be obedient in speaking truth and hope to the people in our lives. Um, these might be, this might be someone in your life that God is calling you to confront what they're doing. Um, the Lord is probably gonna bring someone in your path, whether it's right now, someone's on your heart right now as your Nineveh or in the future that is really hard to love. 
And do you believe that God is big enough and merciful enough to bring transformation in, your li- in their lives? Are you willing to speak truth and hope into their lives? Or are you coming from a place of pride expecting for them to fail? And I wanna challenge us to learn from Jonah and follow Jesus' lead, to be a source of truth in their lives and realize that we're on equal playing fields, that we all are sinners and deserve death. But God's grace is for them just as much as it is for us. Or maybe in this season, you honestly identify more with the Ninevites, that you have been far from God and you feel like you've done things in your life that are unredeemable. And I want you to see here, and I hope you've heard here, that God's mercy um, is calling for you, just like his mercy was calling for the Ninevites. And that all you have to do is repent and be, have a humble heart. And see how quickly that the Ninevites here have a shift. They don't have one foot in, one foot out. They were sold out for the fact that they needed God's mercy in this moment, and they wanted to surrender their lives to him. So I pray that we too would urgently repent from sin and, and see that we need God's compassion as well. And I wanna end by saying this, that God is going to ask us to do things in our life sometimes that make absolutely no sense to us. But if we choose to be obedient in the word that he is calling us towards, uh, he's gonna make transformation happen. We sometimes get to help water or plant seeds, but God is the one that is doing the growing. And so be obedient into what he's calling you to do. Be concerned about the things that God is concerned about, and that's loving his people. That's drawing people back into relationship with him. So we're gonna talk about this at our tables now. Sorry, I went a little long. Um, But we've read a whole book of the Bible, so that's fun. So... Questions, you don't have to go over all of them, but here they are. Where is God calling you to obedience and are you running? Where is God calling you to obedience and are you running? Do you struggle with intolerance, legalism, and self-righteousness? How do we respond when our expectations of God are unmet and our theology is overturned? Are you being honest with God about your emotions? And how are you going to show God's loving kindness to your Nineveh? So maybe choose like two questions to talk about at your table, or maybe you're going to be really fast and be able to talk about all of them. Um, But we have about 12-ish minutes um, to discuss. All right. Did anyone get through all uh, four questions? No? Okay. Well, it's okay. Uh, that's why you should join a small group to keep talking about it. Um, I am going to pray for us, um, but, and then we'll have some announcements and let you go. Uh, we don't have to reset the table so you can leave them here. Uh, but if any of you want to talk more about anything, have questions, um, or struggling through a situation where, um, it, you have someone in your life hard to love and you need encouragement or prayer. Um, We're gonna have leaders up here to talk with you. Also, if you wanna accept God's um, grace and mercy for the first time, um, we would also love to talk with you about that. Uh, Or if you're interested in baptism, the next baptism is in April, I believe. So we'll have leaders up here if you wanna come talk about anything, process anything. Um, I'm gonna pray for us. 
God, thank you so much uh, for your word. And I am just constantly in awe of how creative you are um, in scripture. And um, I'm so thankful for all that we get to learn about you and your character. And I'm thankful that you're a God that is slow to anger and that you are loving and kind God and that you want a relationship with us so much that you would send your son to die on the cross uh, for our sins um, and, and pay the price that we deserve so that we can have a new life in you. And I just uh, pray that um, we would receive that gift, uh, that we would realize that you've given us grace um, and that there's nothing that we've done um, or that we could do, that the cross, um, that through your sacrifice, it, it couldn't cover for us, Lord. And we're so thankful for that. God, and I pray that we would be people who um, draw our brothers and sisters who are far from you back into relationship with you, that we would be able to through our lives and through our words, speak um, your love and show your kindness and your goodness. Um, God, I pray that we would be obedient in whatever you're calling us to, even if it's scary or even if it doesn't make sense. God, put people in our lives to encourage us um, and to hold us accountable. And if anyone in this room is feeling called into a hard conversation, that you would be with them um, and that you would allow that to happen. We love you and it's in your name. Amen.